you would, turn in the Bible to the book of Zechariah, a minor prophet, second to last book. While you're turning there, it's going to take you a while to find it. While you're turning to Zechariah, I want to do something totally different that we have not done before. You know, we don't worship people here. You know that. We've been worshiping God. But I hope that we are growing and getting better and better at honoring people. Hope we're good at that. I'm going to ask two people to come forward this morning. I want to ask my mom and dad if they would come up here. They didn't know I was going to do this. <laughs> my, I'm born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my mom and dad are up visiting. Get to see them only a couple times a year, and they're here this weekend to visit. Um, Mother's Day is in two weeks, and Father's Day will be next month in June or, or in June. And uh, y'all hear me talk a lot about family. I've got several kids, and I'm trying my best to to raise a family. Um, but but truly, I don't get to honor them enough. And y'all y'all have heard me talk about them before. But uh, I would not be, be who I am were it not for them. They have loved me so well, uh, continue to love me so well, and am truly, truly, truly just thankful. So y'all have seen them before. Many of you all have. Uh, but if you're new around here, you never have. This is my mom and dad, and um, they are really, really good parents, and I praise God for them. So mom and dad, love you all. Thank you all. Aww. Yeah, I love you too, man. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. Don't sit down. I didn't know if you're even allowed to do that in church, <laughs> but they're here this weekend, and uh, I, I asked if that was okay, and I was told it was. And um, you know, sometimes just a phone call on Mother's Day isn't as much as Mother's Day could be. And uh, so I'm glad they're here this weekend, and so thankful for them. So now here we are back in Zechariah, and we started that book two weeks ago, took a break from it uh, last week for Easter Sunday. But if you were here, then uh, last Friday at the Good Friday service, you saw that in the book of Zechariah, we have Christ. We have, uh, and they will look on him whom they have pierced. That's in Zechariah. We saw that last Friday. You also have seen at the triumphal entry, which was Palm Sunday, that that also is in Zechariah. We saw that too. This book that is hidden in the Minor Prophets is loaded with good gospel uh, information, as we have seen and we're gonna continue to see. We did have to jump ahead some chapters, chapter nine, chapter 10, to get to those passages. So now we come back to chapter one and we're gonna walk through the book. We're gonna spend several weeks here. But Zechariah, for uh, like, like many uh, not very well-known books, is about to get complicated. Starting where we're starting today, Zechariah is about to receive eight straight different visions, night visions. And that's kind of weird, right? And we're not all too familiar with that stuff, but if you've read the Bible much, you know it's pretty common in the Bible. We just saw in the book of Revelation what, what Austin read, that that was common then. There are visions throughout the Bible. God did that, okay? You may not have many visions these days, and we want to make sure that we understand that God doesn't do visions as much these days because we have the Word of God. But in the book of Zechariah, there are a lot of visions here, and it's going to be a lot of work for us to understand it. But I hope you know that ignorance means... You don't know what you're talking about. 
I don't mean that in an insult way. That's the definition of ignorance, right? You don't, you don't know. You don't know the subject. And what happens a lot of times with us is we don't understand something, so we get uncomfortable, and so we either avoid it or we insult it, right? You don't know the story. You don't know my story. I don't know your story. And so if we don't know, then we may uh, get away from it because it's uncomfortable. We may start insulting it because it's uncomfortable. And ignorance is, well, you just don't know enough about it, right? This weekend, one of the most popular movies released, Avengers Endgame. If you don't know what that is, then you're just ignorant. By definition, not an insult, okay? Okay. If you do, you know this is a really, really big deal, movie coming out. It's like Captain America and the Incredible Hulk, and it's supposedly the end-all, be-all, and I haven't seen it, so no spoilers. But honestly, I wasn't familiar with those that much when I was a kid. I mean, I knew who those guys were, but I wasn't real familiar with the movies. I've not seen them. And it wasn't until my son started growing up that they got into those things. And other things too, like Lord of the Rings and like uh, Harry Potter and those type of things that I didn't know anything about. But now they've read the books and they've watched the movies and they're getting me into it. And at first I used to be, no, nah, I don't like that. No, nah, I'm not into that. I don't understand that. But now I've read those and I've watched those and I'm like, I can't wait. I seriously can't wait. I hate that we've had to wait so long to even see this movie that's only been out three days. But I can't wait. And so it's possible, listen, that there could be something that you don't know about and you don't understand that is so good. Now, that's a real part of life. There could be things that are just amazing and you just don't know about it. So can we learn here today to not dismiss something simply because we don't understand it? Now that principle applies to so many things. Just because you don't understand somebody and where they're at and what they're doing, don't dismiss it. When we get to Zechariah, we don't really understand it. There are all these visions and God's doing all these different things, but listen, don't dismiss it. Please don't say or act like, well, I don't understand that, so I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to avoid it. Please don't do that. Let's be people who say, this is God's word. He clearly has a reason or purpose for why he's doing that, so I'm going to dig in. And we're going to see what God means in these visions. Today, we're going to look at only the first one. It's Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, what are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth. And behold, all the earth remains at rest. 
Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease, for I'll... While I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My cities shall again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Upon first reading, you may be thinking, what in the world is he talking about? You can see the very next passage is a vision of horns and craftsmen. Right after that, a vision of a man with a measuring line. After that, a vision of Joshua. After that, a vision of a golden lampstand. After that, a vision of a flying scroll. After that, a vision of a woman in a basket. After that, a vision of four chariots. It's about to get weird in this book. But that's because we don't know what he's talking about. But God has a reason for it, and so we're going to seek it out. I do want to encourage you that when Zechariah saw that too, in verse 9, Zechariah's response was, uh, what are these, my Lord? What is this? What's happening? What am I seeing? Now, I do want to point out, we're going to develop this later on in the book of Zechariah. This is not a dream. This is a vision, right? Dreams and visions can be similar, but it's just the nighttime, and God is showing him something, and we're gonna unpack that later on as we get in Zechariah, and we're gonna see the difference. But right here, it's a vision. The book began on the eighth month, if you look at chapter one, verse one. I've told you that Zechariah was a contemporary of Haggai, the minor prophet right before, but it began in the eighth month, and here at verse seven, this happens on the 11th month, so we're looking at about three months after this that he sees in the night, and a man is on a horse, and he's standing among the trees, and there are some other horses there, and he says, what is this? Verse nine, what is this? And the angel who talked with him said, I'll show you. And then he says, uh, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Patrol, good word. I'm gonna give you three words today for my, my three points this morning, and it's gonna be God's patrol, God's promises, and God's prosperity. All three start with a P, should be very simple for us. Patrol, promises, and prosperity. Promises come out in the scripture a lot. Prosperity comes out in the world a lot, maybe not so much in the scripture, but the, world, the word patrol is not found as much in the Bible, and I like this. And so there's one guy standing in the midst of the myrtle trees talking, and it ends up telling us that this is the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord in the Bible can be a lot of different things. Sometimes it even represents uh, God himself, and sometimes it even represents Jesus Christ himself, the God-man. Here, we're not so sure about that. It doesn't seem to be, but for sure the angel of the Lord represents the one bringing the message of God. And so what we have here is the angel of the Lord 
Lord in the midst with riders on horses behind him. And the riders of the horses seem to be like angels too. But this angel of the Lord is clearly uh, more superior than those angels for they're answering to him. And Zechariah is interacting with the angel of the Lord. And so uh, just upon looking a little bit, we see that much. So at the beginning, it was really confusing. And now it's not so much. You've got uh, horse riders who are going out. You've got an angel of the Lord. And he says, who are these guys? And he says, these have been sent out by the Lord to patrol the earth. What a neat thought. God has people patrolling the earth. We know what it means to patrol. A lot of times you're most familiar with the word patrol when you think of a police officer, right? They're out patrolling. They've got an area that they're circling or scanning or watching out for, and they're just checking to make sure things are okay. And the Bible tells us here, as Zechariah is seeing it in a vision, but the Bible tells us here that God has people out patrolling. But they're not people, they're angels. He's seeing it in a vision in their own horses. And I want to remind you that a long time ago, there would have been no, no trains, there would have been no cars, there were no cop cars back then, right? So the idea of horses out patrolling is a really strong thing. God patrols the earth. Verse 11, they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, and they said this, we have patrolled the earth. Behold, all the earth remains at rest. See, they say we're patrolling. We've been checking it over. They have the ability to go out and go this direction or go this direction, and we don't know how many. There are three here, but who knows how many God has. The Bible says that God has thousands and thousands of angels that are out working for him, but it's giving us this idea that God sends out to know what's going on. What a neat thought. Now, these days, we've kind of learned that everything's on camera, right? Somewhere, somehow, somebody is filming. I don't know if you've ever looked at Google Earth or Google Maps, but they've got pictures of your house and your driveway and your backyard on the computer right now. I hope that wasn't the day that you were out in your pajamas because you might be in that picture, Google seems to have patrolled everywhere. They've at least got an image of your place. They have an image of everywhere. If Google is able to do that, can I remind you here today that God is certainly able to do that? Except for God doesn't have to make a still image. The Bible says that he sees everything, that nothing, the Bible says this, nothing is hidden from his sight. God gives Zechariah this vision. What is that and who are they? And the angel of the Lord says, they've been out patrolling. Now, depending on who you are and what you're looking for and what you're feeling and how uh, stressed out you are, the fact that God sees everything kind of looks differently to you, right? There's some ways that that could be a huge comfort. Like, yes, I'm so glad he's aware. You ever made a complaint before and you just said, hey, I just want to make you aware, Right? God knowing brings us great comfort. But perhaps if you hope that he's not watching or hope that he doesn't see, this does not bring you comfort, but this scares you, this intimidates you, this frightens you. You know, when I first read the word patrol here, what did you think of first? 
Perhaps you thought of the police, but I bet for a whole lot of us, particularly those of us that have little children this morning, the first time that I heard the word patrol, it reminded me of Paw Patrol. Do y'all know what Paw Patrol is? It's this awesome new kids cartoon, right? I know some of the little ones know what Paw Patrol is. It's a pretty good, pretty good show. It's not up there with PJ Masks or Peppa the Pig. Both Peppa the Pig and PJ Masks are, uh, in my opinion, better than Paw Patrol, but Paw Patrol's a good one. In the 45-second opening song of Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, be there on the double, that's the song. But it, it says this in that song, no job's too big and no pup's too small. See, this guy right here knew it. <laughs> he knew it. It says this, that no job is too big and no pup's too small, all right? Church, be comforted here this morning that no job is too big for God Almighty. No God is too small for whatever burdens us. No job's too big and God is not too small for any. weighing you down. Whatever you have found yourself in, and I mean whatever, it's not too big, and he's not too small. He's got his angels out patrolling. They are aware, they see, they report back. God is in the know. He is never caught off guard. He's not blindsided by anything. If you are so deep in it right now this week that you think, I don't know how I'm gonna make it another day, I just can't carry it, then hear this. His angels are patrolling. They're all over it. God knows. That should comfort you. That should comfort you. One commentary says, these writers are a reminder that God knows what's happening in his world. So after that, here at verse 11, they did answer the angel of the Lord who was standing among myrtle trees, and they said, we have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. This is where I need you to really pay attention because it's going to get confusing. You think, is this good? Is this bad? A restful, peaceful earth, is it a, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Listen, it's, it's a bad thing because here's what it is. God's people, if you remember, are in exile. They're not happy. They're suffering. They're living in a position right now under the reign of the Babylonians where there is no temple, right? It's been destroyed. There are no city walls that that kind of show this boundary and protection for them. They have nothing going on in their world that shows God's taking care of us. His provision doesn't seem visible right now, and it's frustrating. And so what's happening is while God's people are frustrated and upset and not at ease, they're hearing from these right that patrol the whole world's at ease. This place, Persia, that has us uh, in, in, in exile, that has us in captivity, that overtook us, that destroyed our temple, this place, man, they're living it right. 
Every once in a while you hear somebody say, why do bad things happen to good people? And we've talked about that before, kind of hate the question, don't ever want me or you to be referred to as the good people, right? We, we've got it better than we even realize. And so we understand, so the question's really not coming from the right perspective, but for what it's worth here today, we kind of understand, right? Why does it seem at times like people that should be worse, we would think from an unhealthy perspective, have it better than people that shouldn't, right? And this is kind of the idea here is that God's people are not at ease. They're not experiencing peace. It seems like God is gone. And the question often that comes up in the scriptures is when God or how long? And Keith did a great job of pointing that out at the end of Psalm 89 as he opened up the Bible and read that too because they cried out in Psalm 89, how long, oh God? And we often talk about in the church and in Christianity this idea of waiting, right? We wait to get pregnant, we wait to find a spouse, and we wait to see uh, when God's gonna just send us anything that's positive or encouraging, and we wait for a friend, or we wait for encouragement, and we wait for a job, and we wait, and we wait, and we thank God, when? And one of the things you have to learn in Christianity, in discipleship of being a follower of Christ, is that God's timing is often different from our timing. And right here, this is what comes up. They said, all the earth remains at rest. So that's what they reported back after their patrolling. So look at verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord says this, and this is fascinating because I would have thought it would have been Zechariah's cry at first to say this, but so much more even in Zechariah's cry, for he's just the mouthpiece, I guess. In verse 12, it's the angel of the Lord. So the superior angel says this, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem? and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these 70 years. And so they're being reminded that God is angry with them, and the reason why they're in exile is because of their sin. It's because of their disobedience. They did not return back to God. If you've forgotten about that, look back to chapter 1, verse 3. Sorry, chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Verse three, therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Do not be like your fathers. Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me. The people of Israel, often like the people of God, have a history of not doing what God has asked them to do. And at some point, God comes along and says, enough's enough, and I'm gonna punish you. You're not gonna experience my blessing right now. You will be dealt with. We're to understand this as a good thing. They are being punished. And yet here again, they are. They're in a 70-year exile. Now, we know this number of 70 years because God had said it would be 70 years in Jeremiah chapter 25. And here the number 70 is brought up again. So it's pretty consistent. We see this going on in the prophets. But when they get the message that the whole earth is at ease, they're thinking, yeah, the whole earth's at ease except us. We're not at ease. But instead of them getting mad and frustrated, like, I'm just tired of you, God. You're never blessing me. They're aware that it's their own fault. God has them there. And that's a tension, isn't it? Man, that's a tension that'll really stress you out. You ever been mad and frustrated and you try to blame everybody else, but you know you're, it's really your fault? Man, that's a weird feeling, isn't it? You kind of want to say, man, it's y'all's fault or... It's y'all's fault. And the reality is, man, it's my fault. 
But it takes the grace of God and the Holy Spirit's power to bring that genuine humility on us to get us to actually admit, this is my problem. And so right now, they're dealing with that. He says, how long will you have no mercy on them? And how long will you continue to be angry? And this is where, the second point, the promises come in. This is where the second point, the promises come in. We know that God has promised his people that he will never leave them nor forsake them. That he will rebuild his temple. That they will have a king. That they will experience his blessing. And so what is happening right here in the book of Zechariah, in the history of God's people, is what God's promised he's going to do isn't happening yet. And so they will decide whether they'll believe him and trust and wait or if they'll turn their back on him. And what the Bible teaches is that there's a history of people who will give up on God, and so therefore they will not be the ones that are saved. They must not be the remnant. They will not receive the blessing. But there's also the powerful history of God that there will be those who hold on tight and say, I don't know how long and when will it be, but they will keep holding on. And so right now, God has them right there in that exile, that 70 years, that waiting, that punishment, that anger. He has them in that, and the angel of the Lord cries out, and it's gonna be, are we gonna hold on to his promises I know it's coming, or is it gonna be, forget you, God, I tried. I've done it my way, I've tried, I've done it your way, I've tried, and I'm just done with you, God, and they're gonna turn their back on him. And something, listen, something powerful happens in the waiting. We all know that we don't like it. I don't like it, and you don't like it. We don't like waiting. We don't like it when God's timing is not our timing. But something powerful happens in the waiting. It does. So they're being challenged here with the promises of God. The world remains at rest. In contrast to the exiles, there is no rest. They cry out, when? Listen to this quote. We may therefore be fully persuaded that even when God withholds his aid for us, he is not otherwise affected toward us than the best fathers towards their own children. And further, listen, that the signs of his love do not appear, listen, the signs of his love do not appear because it is not always expedient for us to be delivered soon from our troubles. We hate to hear that, don't we? Let this then be our shield against all hasty desires. That God's timing is different. And if you know that God loves you and he has you suffering and waiting, 
You have to be able to trust and believe that he loves you even in the suffering and waiting. And if he wants you to wait a little bit longer, even in a sense that you don't wish it would be that much longer, you have to be able to say, he knows what's best for me. He's the best dad the world's ever seen. Even in a world where we can ask our dad to come up and I can say, dad, thank you for being such a great dad to me, that God is even a better dad and his timing is perfect and we can trust him. And that is to be in a weird, roundabout way comforting to us. We are to find in God that his promises are better than our preferences. We are to find in God that his love for us covers everything good and bad. His love for us covers all of our longings. Keith just sang that song, Satisfied, and that's that's an old hymn as well. It's actually in the hymnal. It's the one that they just did. It talks about Jesus satisfies all my longings. See, we've got desires, but what God is wanting us to understand in growing in faith is that do our desires come under what God desires for us? And this is hard to learn, but this is where they are. You and I know that God has given them his promises. We know what his promises are. We go back to Abraham and the promises he's gonna make them a great nation, right? We know that. We go back to David and we hear those promises, right? We read the prophets and we hear about a new covenant, new hearts, and God's gonna have his people. We know that. We hear and hear, we hear that a savior is coming. That savior's even gonna be talked about here a little bit later in Zechariah. But right now, the whole world is at ease. They're living however they want to. It doesn't seem like they're getting frustrated over it. People are sinning. People are lying. People are stealing. The world is just whatever. And yet here they are in exile, believing that their God is the ruler and creator of the earth, and yet they're the ones suffering. And they say, how long, God? So number one, God's angels patrol Number two, God's promises are to sustain us even when we don't see them. So lastly here today, number three, God's prosperity on us. I love being a prosperity preacher. And I love being able to show you all from chapter one, verse 13, that God is talking about prosperity here. Look at verse 13. And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. You've seen before a police officer that's able to de-escalate a situation and talk somebody down. You've seen teachers in school all the time that are able to take a kid that is freaking out and exploding and blowing up and able to talk them down and calm them down. In parenting, you have to do this 100 times a day. Take your kid from being overwhelmed and calm them down. And right here in the midst of crying out, the Bible says that God answered back great gracious, comforting words to Zechariah. What a thought. You ever had that person, that friend, that family member that you just, you talk to them and it just makes you feel better? You know who's the best one of those? God. Man, he'll settle you. He will settle you down. He's doing it here to Zechariah. 
Verse 14, so the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. What a thought. They're thinking, God, how long? And he says, tell them this. He loves y'all. Man, he loves you all. He is exceedingly jealous for you all. God loves you. They somehow, because of their suffering in exile, had forgotten the best one of all. God loves us. God loves us. I'm so jealous for you all. Y'all are mine. You're my bride. You're my people. I've got a plan for you. My promises are all for you. And if you'll hold on tight, you are going to see it. By the way, the reason why you're in this spot is because of your sinful disobedience that I warned you about to begin with. But don't doubt for a second that I love you. I love you. And it says this in verse 15, and I'm exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. Whew, that makes them feel a lot better, right? Think about that. Go tell them this, Zechariah. I love them, and I'm angry at the ones they think have it good, right? See, that goes back to ignorance. If you don't understand what's going on in the cosmos, if you don't understand what's going on in the universe, if you don't understand what's going on in the world from God's perspective, you are going to be frustrated. This is why we teach that you've got to understand the world through the lens of God. You've got to understand the world through the truth. If you are trying to understand this crazy planet of 7 billion people and why things go the way they are without truth, you are going to be up and down like a roller coaster. You are going to go from great days to horrible days. You're going to be moody. You're going to be happy. You're going to think you're bipolar. You are going to be all over the place if you're trying to make sense of this world with out truth. God comes right back to Zechariah and says, hey, say this out loud to them. I love you all with an exceeding jealousy and I am angry at the nations. Doesn't look like it because God has a plan. God has a time and we are to trust that. He's already told us that all this stuff's coming to happen, but you lose sight of God, you lose sight of truth, and next thing you know, you're crying out, how long? And God comes back with this prosperity message of, I love you all, and I am angry at them. Verse 16, well, he goes on and says, verse 15, for while I was angry, but a little, they furthered the disaster. Verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. What did they cry out in verse 13? Sorry, verse 12. How long are you not going to have mercy? And God says, I'm coming back with mercy. My house will be built in it. You're going to get your house back. We're going to get the temple back, declares the Lord of hosts. And the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Exactly everything that is mine will be exactly right. I will possess it back. Verse 17. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. So now he's got more to say. My cities shall again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. In the first vision, it's a vision of an angel of the Lord with riders on horses that patrol the earth. That's all it is. And then a conversation happens between Zechariah and the angel of the Lord. That's it. And do you see how if you were reading Zechariah tomorrow at home, you'd be thinking, man, I don't have a clue what this is talking about. But just a little bit of time, 30 minutes in here today, and it ain't that complicated. We were just all ignorant to it. 
We didn't really know what it was. Again, that's not an insult. That means we didn't know what it was. But now we've looked at it, and all it is is a conversation there because it seems like everybody in the world, everybody else in the world doesn't have any problems. It seems like we're the only ones with problems is what it says, and so they're crying out. And God answers back with his promises, and his promises are filled with his prosperity. Now listen to me. Prosperity gospel, prosperity preaching is the one that we are absolutely against. Prosperity gospel, prosperity preaching is when preachers say that God only wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And you hear people preach that. These guys get on TV a lot. They want your money, and then they tell you that God will give you money. That's that's what they say. They tell you that God will heal you, that God will give you things, and that if you do enough, or you believe enough, or you give enough, that all of these great blessings, they say, life things inside the world will come upon you. And that's prosperity preaching, and we don't believe believe that for one second. We don't. We're against that. But we do believe in prosperity because the word's here. But you know what we think the blessing is? Jesus. The treasure is Jesus. The reward is Jesus. We know him. He knows us. He loves us. We love him. And no matter how much we've sinned, he forgives all of our sins because of his work on the cross. The Bible says that God's anger that's even talked about here was dealt with in Jesus on the cross. As he hung on the cross and took our sins, God crushed him on the cross so that you and I can be forgiven, can be saved. And the Bible says that if you believe that and turn to God and ask for forgiveness, then you've got everything in Jesus. You are a child of God in his love, welcomed in, and there will be no condemnation for you. You are as safe as safe can be forever because of Jesus. And that's what we understand by blessing. So I want you to be very careful when you use the word, I'm blessed, or this is a blessing. And I'm okay with using the word blessed and blessing, but let's make sure that what we mean at the core is that this is a gift of God. This is the presence of God. This is the work of God. This is the encouragement of God. This is the goodness of God in me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is my treasure. Now, if you stumble upon an extra $100 or your kid hits a home run or makes straight A's and you say, well, I'm just blessed, eh, maybe you're in the right place with that, only if you're meaning God's done this. God gets all the glory. God gets all the credit. And you know what? If he flunks the test, I'm still blessed. I got a knucklehead, but I'm still blessed, right? That's what we mean by blessing. The blessing means God is in this and my perspective is on God. God is in this and God knows me. I know God's promises and I'm believing them. That's the blessing. Whether we're good at it or bad at it, whether it looks good or not, God's blessing is knowing God and God's grace in our lives that causes us to know him. That's the prosperity. But let me give you a few verses because I I love to talk about this and and me and a couple of my buddies have talked about this so many times because people want to just push back on the word prosperity prosperity, and that's not necessary. You already heard me say today that we are prosperity preaching here today. Listen to this verse, Psalm 23, 6. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's the blessing of God. Now, be careful what you mean by goodness and mercy, right? 
It may be the goodness that you're there crying out in exile saying, God, how long? And God's gonna answer you back and say, I got you right where I want you. I got the patrol right around. That may be the goodness and mercy. But hey, if you're in a relationship with God where you cry out to him and he cries back with I love you, that's a blessing, right? Absolutely it is. What about Romans 8, 28? For God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There's prosperity everywhere in that. He works everything for the good. Now, good by his definition, again, not by yours, right? What about Proverbs eleven twenty eight? 28? Listen, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Flourishing in our lives. What about Psalm 1, 3? He is like a tree planted by a stream of water, talking about the blessed man that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither. Listen to this. In all that he does, he prospers. Everything about the life of the believer, prosperity. Not a worldly prosperity. You, know, you may not know it from the bank account. You may not know it from the education. You may not know it from the way they dress. Be careful that your car is not your blessing. Be careful that Jesus is your blessing, whatever car you have. Be careful with saying you're blessed because the world totally knows that you could be having that car hating God. Anytime you're saying that my car is the blessing, there's some bonehead atheist over here who's got a better car than you. Seriously. Be careful to say, oh, this is the blessing. Make sure Jesus is the blessing. Notice here that when he starts preaching prosperity to them, they are crying out desperate. They are 70 years away from home with no comfort. But God says, I've got comfort for you. I've got prosperity for you. I do love you, and I am angry at them. That's prosperity. And yes, they're gonna experience some of that in, in, the, in the here and now coming forward. But bigger than that, they're gonna experience it down the road in the future. Sometimes things pick up, and we experience some prosperous things here in life. But sometimes we don't. I've been to the hospital this week a couple times for people that are in ICU suffering. God's in it. God's there. And we can trust him. And I've been around some people this week that have got things going really, really well. And God's in it. And there's the blessing. So we get this first vision in the book of Zechariah. Seems complicated, horsemen, riders, an angel of the Lord. But the message is God's patrol, God's promises, God's prosperity. Will you trust it? Will you believe it? Can you wait? It's coming. And may that be who we are. We're not sure what tomorrow's gonna bring, and Jesus taught us that. But we do know this, wherever we go tomorrow, God's got it under control, and he's the treasure. He's the reward. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Zechariah chapter one, and thank you, God, for this idea of God's patrol. 
And thank you, God, that when we cry out, we lose perspective, you've got the promises. Father, we pray that we would be those satisfied in Jesus. Father, do that work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.